With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod, the podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now. After some technical difficulties that I'm going to take all the blame for, Noah and I are so pleased to be joined by Gabby Dabrowski. And Gabby, thank you so much for your time. I I wanted to start by just asking, not just on a, a very right superficial level but how are you right now how are you dealing with all of this mentally physically how are you doing i'm actually doing okay um i think i'm really lucky to be in florida uh where we have amazing weather so i can you know go for a run i can be outside still not too far outside Mm -hmm. but outside and i think honestly like the weather plays a big part on my mood. Um, I've noticed that with like the travel throughout the years, like when I go home to Ottawa to Canada, like maybe in a rain, like rainy season or winter, and if there are too many dark days, like I notice my mood goes down. So honestly, I feel really good being in Florida. I think I'm really lucky that I have a chance to to, to be where I am. So yeah, no complaints from me. I just found out it was raining for the past 12 hours. So that's what's happening in my life right now. And my yeah. mom has actually sent me um, vitamin C and vitamin D um, supplements because we are not seeing the sun now. So that's yeah. where I am in my life. Um, I think Mike is similar, right? Yeah, I've been, I have, I'm cooped up with a five year old child who I love dearly as my daughter. <laughs> Uh, but my life has has changed rather drastically in that time. I'm playing a lot of My Little Pony right now, um, and it's it's quite an interesting time. You have, unfortunately, Gabby, much like all, all obviously all the tennis players, you you can't compete now until June. You also just found out as we're recording on Monday night. You found out the day before um, that Canadians have decided not to. Um, send a team to the Olympics in 2020 if it's being held. We're hearing that it's going to be postponed. Obviously, that's something that has been incredibly important for you. How are you coping with that loss along with the loss of the season as it is in 2020? 
Yeah, obviously both things are uh, pretty impactful on an athlete's career, but I think it's for the best, honestly, postponing things right now. I'm I'm not bitter. I totally understand what's going on. It's is what it is. There's there's nothing any anyone can really do except kind of take things step by step and think of everybody's health and put that first. So you know, I think the right decision is to postpone the Olympics. And then today a member of the IOC came out and said, oh, you know, we're, we're looking to postpone. So I haven't heard like an official message from the Olympic committee yet, but I'm sure it's coming soon. So. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I try to speak closely with as many people in the players council as I can, and, and you're on the players council yourself. So you know, kind of run us through a day-to-day operations right now for you guys, because I'm sure it's hectic and WTA and ATP um, individually are working really hard. But what are those conversations like? Yeah, I mean, the the week of Indian Wells was super busy. We had several meetings um, in person and then over the phone, you know, trying to figure out all the logistics of, of everything. Like, can we offer players reimbursement? How are we going to get compensation? Will the tournament give compensation? Does WTA give compensation? And like so many question marks of like really important, um, you know, topics and, and players want answers. And, uh, and also like, like we just didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, we knew pretty quickly that Miami wasn't going to happen and then Charleston wasn't going to happen, but then, um, WTA kind of wanted to follow like a process of talking to the the European swing um, tournaments and broadcasters and sponsors. And so, you know, kind of like all the parties involved um, before making a final decision. So it took maybe like an extra few days before we were able to say, okay, we're postponing like, you know, until up, up until June 8th. But I understand obviously behind the scenes, people want to get all their ducks in a row and they don't want to make any statements that are too hasty or anything like that. Um, so I think, you know, some, some players were in the dark for a while, which I wish could be a, a little different. I wish there was a little bit more clearer transparency. Um, but I also understand the other side of it where it's like, we don't want to get the message out too soon. We don't want rumors to spread accidentally. You know, we want everybody to be on the same page at one time. And so, trying to let everyone know at the same time, but it's obviously really tough with social media, you know, and, and, and I think now we're doing a better job of getting emails out to players with, you know, further updates and more information. Obviously things are a little bit stagnant right now because we don't really know what's next. Um, Like we're working on what's happening with the rankings, but again, nothing concrete because the tournaments have to agree and like player council has to go through it all. And then they have to model um, like our rankings people have to model different scenarios of what would happen if we do this, if we do that. If we do this. So it's kind of just like we're, we're, we're waiting a little bit. Um, like things are hanging in the balance, but hopefully within the next couple of weeks, we'll have some concrete answers, at least in terms of ranking and compensation um, for the players. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the compensation portion that is so complex right now. Can you take us in some of those conversations without giving away too much, but how those conversations are occurring in terms of looking to replace salary, especially for players who are outside of the top 50, outside of the top 100, and how they're taken care of when their financial status is a little bit more up in the air? 
Thanks, Mike. I get it. That's <laughs> me. I, I get it. Thanks. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think one positive thing on Player Council is that we have different representatives from different ranking groups, but everybody's kind of looking out for each other. And we don't have an issue where we're only thinking of the top 10 or the top 20. You know, we're thinking further down and we're thinking how we can help everybody that are, you know, our full members. So I think that's one good thing that we have going for us, um, that we are pretty conscientious of everyone. Um, at the same time, it's, it's tricky because, I mean, I've said it before, like tennis, we don't have any type of like real proper representation. We aren't like other sports, we don't have an association that fights for us. So it's really hard to kind of get a salary out to players, especially over several months of no play. Um, and I mentioned this to someone the other day is like on the ITF circuit, even players ranked further down than 150, you know, I would say 200 down, you know, players that haven't quite made it into maybe the, the qualities of the slams yet, but they're, you know, they're trying to work their way up is they're the ones that are going to suffer the very most from this whole yep. situation. And not even because of not being able to play on the ITF circuit. Uh, so they have, you know, they're, they're losing those opportunities right now. Um, and I think, yeah, so I think for them, it'll be the biggest challenge, but hopefully we can figure out something at a minimum. Um, but in terms of WTA, I'm not sure how many players will be able to affect down the ranking scale. Mm. You know, I, I think we're going to look more at our full members and try to make an impact for them. Because if we think of everyone, then you obviously dilute the funds. So, Can you explain real quick what a full member is for fans who might not know what that means? Yes. yes. Um, a full member on the WTA circuit is when you are top 150 in singles and when you are top 50 in doubles. Okay. No, I mean, you know, I think my biggest fear right now, you know, in times like this, crazy for humanity and obviously tennis specifically, but I don't want to see this time wasted. You know, in my head, how can we use this for something better? Um, I'm worried. I don't, you know, obviously I'm not in all these meetings with the ATP. I'm worried that the urgency to come together may not be there. You know, as somebody in the Players Council, do you have any, you know, urge to try to build some type of union for all of us? Um, you know, do you think WTA and ATP players should work together to try to find a common, you know, ground? Or, you know, have you thought about this before? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's been on my mind. It, it started to kind of come on my radar last year when the ITF circuit changed their rules. And I could, uh, I noticed very quickly with the help of some friends how many players were negatively impacted by those changes of the, of the entry system. Um, and so then I was kind of like, oh, like, what can we do? But at the same time, you know, tennis, you know, they have, what do you call like antitrust laws. And so I don't even know if it's possible to come together and create something because of the laws that are in place, I guess. Mm. Um, I would love to see the ATP and WTA work together more. I think there's definitely, I think we're stronger together. Um, I think we have a great product together through, through WTA, ATP and the ITF circuit. Um, so I think that would be a really good starting point actually is to, you know, show solidarity. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I know I got the email from the ATP, and it, it did make me laugh a little bit when they basically said, yeah, we saw the RG you know, tweet, and we're going to come up with a response to it in the next few days. I was like, what? <laughs> you saw it on Twitter too? Like, you know, that's what concerns me all the time. I'm like, you know, we're fighting against each other now. Here are the Labor Cup, and, the, and Rowan Garros are, like, having, like, Twitter battles and, like, little <laughs> digs at each other. And I'm like, are we in high school right now? So... I'm just hoping that we can use this as players to say, hey, they're not going to help us out. We're not going to get the support maybe we necessarily need. Maybe we have to back each other up. But you're, you know, you bring up a good point that I don't think Mike and I have spoken about is laws in place to maybe prevent something like this from happening. And that's of true concern, I think, when you look at it. But you know, I'm really hoping that we can get to a point where players can look out for each other. Um, and, it's, and we have our best interests at heart. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you have obviously come at, at this sport um, from a doubles perspective. Um, we have talked to some double specialists on the ATP tour. Um, what's it, what's it like on on the WTA tour when we talked to Christiane, another member of the Player Council? Um, you, you, she mentioned how many of the singles players um, are inside the top fifty, top seventy five on the double side as well. What's your experience been like as a as a really a double specialist on the WTA tour over the last several years? Um, well, if we want to talk about everything, we'll be here a long time, but. Uh... <laughs> I can tell you that it's a big challenge. Um, you know, every year we see the rules uh, bent a little bit uh, in favor of singles players playing more doubles and gaining entry into the doubles easier, even though they might not have a doubles ranking or a high doubles ranking, or they might not prioritize doubles. Um, the issue that I have mainly with the rule changes is that it's the, the, the tour and obviously several players have a stance where, you know, if you're ranked maybe 50 or 60 or 70 in singles that you should get into the draw ahead of somebody in doubles who's maybe 40 or 45 in the world in doubles. And I just don't believe that because I've been at 45 in the world I know that that's the breaking point of getting into a lot of the premier events where you need to get in and win a few rounds or win the tournament. And then, then that boosts your ranking further. Um, so it's, it's a really tricky situation because I understand tournaments, you know, want more singles players in their draws. But when somebody makes that statement, I say, well, who do you want in your draws? And usually the answer is either somebody from that country, you know, that tournament's um, like home player, a marquee name. So anybody who's obviously more famous. And I say, okay, so you have a top 20 wildcard designated for someone who's in the top 20 that wants to play already. Uh, you have your own wildcard that you can give to a marquee name or to your, you know, your countrymen. Uh, and then you know, the argument would then just be kind of how does having somebody in singles who doesn't play a lot of doubles get into the draw? How does that improve the product, you know? And so I fully understand having your countryman or a marquee name or a top player. I understand how that improves the doubles product, be product because it puts bums in seats because of the name and where you're playing. But beyond that, I think skill-wise, 
I think somebody who dedicates their time to a double skill set and you'll see results all year where people of any ranking will win or lose. It's not really about the results of a match. I just think it's, you know, the best quality of tennis and the best quality of doubles that you will see on a court. So doubles faces, you know, a lot of obstacles. And I think also it's never really been promoted. It's never been marketed. We don't have a lot of exposure. So of course we don't have a lot of pull on the side of saying, okay, hey, doubles is so popular. You got to let the doubles players, you know, get into the draws and play on the bigger courts and all this stuff. You know, we have a hard argument to win there. Um, so some, some, this year we were supposed to um, implement some, some initiatives to try to connect more with the fans, maybe create some instructional videos and put them out there. You know, if they, if they can show um, some more doubles matches and maybe renegotiate some of the contracts with the broadcasters. And if the broadcasters don't want to show the doubles matches, then they give up the rights back to the WTA so that they can stream the matches how they see fit. Uh, So we're working on all of these things because um, obviously I'm really passionate about doubles, but for me, doubles is what, you know, kept me in tennis because there was a point when I was playing singles and I was about, you know, floating around 200, anywhere between, you know, 180 and 230. And I couldn't quite break through because financially I couldn't afford a coach to make me better. So I was just kind of cruising on my own. And it came to a point where my family and I were like, we don't really have anything left to give this. But in doubles, I was, you know, either winning the tournament or going deep in the draw. So I kind of made it my goal to, you know, put more emphasis on that and then play with better partners, which I was able to do and very grateful for that. And then eventually, I, you know, my ranking increased, got to play with better players. So I know what it's like to kind of come from, you know, nothing and work your way through the system. And that's why I'm saying I know what it's like to be 45 in the world and have earned that spot through winning internationals and, and winning, you know, lots of ITF tournaments and, um, you know, going deep in a few premieres and then getting a better partner because you've earned your respect, you know, they, they know you, um, and they want to, they want to play with you. And then now I'm seven. So, you know, I have to think, okay, I'm seven now. So I'm in a safe spot. Um, I'm fortunate enough to partner up with good people, but I still have to think of that girl who's 45. Mm -hmm. And if you keep on taking the spots away from the draws, then the cut, you know, will be like 30. And then all of a sudden you have to be not only winning, you know, (laughs) all the internationals, but the premiers too, to, to be 30. And it's just, you know, then it gets really, really tough to break through. And I just genuinely don't believe that a singles player who's ranked between like 50 and 70 in the world who doesn't play doubles or doesn't prioritize doubles in any way. I don't really feel that that enhances the doubles product. Um, Obviously you have tons of singles players that do amazing in both events. You know, you have, Strakova and Suwei, you have Babasama Denovich, you have Mertens and Sabalenka, and they are, in my mind, 100% deserving of being there because they've earned their spot. Mm. They've kicked everyone's asses. Good for you. You did it. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but to just kind of take a spot away from somebody who's, who's really worked, you know, hard, and just because their ranking doesn't, you know, reflect their level yet, I, I don't think their spot should be taken away. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean we're 
we're a hundred percent on board with uh, with what you're saying. I think it's super difficult. I'm sure you've seen a lot of friends and competitors that you know have basically stopped playing for this reason. I know people that have done it. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends in the doubles around 80 to 120 even, and they can't seem to get into any tournaments. And I'm like, you're 80 in the world. It's like, mm-hmm. why? And they're like, this is the issues, and it's only getting tougher. So, I know Mike and I have the same friends, sadly, and uh, so <laughs> he agrees. But um, you know, you've been on tour for some time. You're obviously um, really deep into a lot of the conversations. You know, if there was one thing, because um, obviously you have a lot of initiatives that you know Mike and I find very interesting. But if there was one thing you could see changed throughout your career, if there was one thing, you know, Gabby Dabrowski changed one thing in tennis, what would it be? Oh wow, nobody has ever asked me that before so and I want to I want to give a good answer so I'm going to think about this for a second no pressure no and I can Um, just sing and dance for a little bit of time I was going to say please don't let me look at this guy for too long (laughs) this is already long enough (laughs) um you know I think um I would have loved for I don't how, but I would have loved for the system to be structured maybe a little bit differently. Um, And that allows more movement um, and allows for more breakthroughs for those that, you know, financially struggle a lot because tennis is such an expensive sport that, I mean, just like you said, there are so many players that are really good, but when they can't, not even make a living, but they even struggle to break even. I mean, of course you're going to get discouraged and of course you're going to want to quit. And of course you're going to want to do something else with your life. And I think, and I think if, if tennis isn't what you want to do, that's totally fine. But then kind of being forced out of the sport because you can't afford it is another thing entirely. I think a lot has to do with, you know, the pressures of, of feeling that you need to travel a lot as a junior and spend so much money doing that. I mean, that's, that was for, for my family and I, that, that was the biggest expense. Um, and yeah, so I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> oh no. You know, no, no. <laughs> I, I know uh, I, I can speak and just say I, along the same lines, Gabby, my, my big thing has been just the idea of the universal basic income, some level of guaranteed income for players. I, I, in my mind, it's always been top 500. You get something. So you have something to fall back on, something to pay some of the travel costs um, and, and it increases as you move up. That's always been my big issue. Um, just trying to guarantee just a little bit of income for everybody. I, Noah? Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to, you know, I've been speaking to a lot of the ATP player relations, the guys at the top, and, you know, I've, I've spoken to them about a lot of this stuff. And, you know, the $4 million prize money check for the winner makes a lot of headlines. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand that. And I understand that a Djokovic wants to be paid that. I get it. I get a Serena wants to be paid that. But at the same time, you know, if you make that where the winner gets – a mill, the winner gets $750,000, but he's already getting, let's say, $500,000 a year. He's getting that, you know, number each and every time he steps on court, or he's getting $2 million a year, whatever it is. But then somebody like me, who's 150, 200, whatever the case may be, and I know I'm getting 100 grand a year, and I can fall back on that, you know, because I was breaking even with the coach at 120 in the world. I mean, that shouldn't be the case. 
Um, so I'm totally on board. I mean, you know, we always come at it that how can we make tennis a more interesting, more promotable, more fan friendly sport? Um, and there's no right answers right now. And I think it's super difficult, but I'm just looking at, you know, how incredible the sport can be. And I just see it just taking a dive down and I'm like, no, we love this sport. And especially like a time like this, where we have six months to, you know, think of ideas, join together, come brainstorm. I just don't see the urgency to do that right now. And that's what worries me. You know, we come together in 2021 and, and we're, we're at the same point we're at now. Well, yeah. And I think I'll, I'll also just add to that is um, I, I wish there were more team events mm. in tennis. <laughs> Most players have a team behind them that is helping them. So I think, you know, events like ATP cup and hopefully in the future, a WTA cup or labor cup or fed cup, Davis cup, you know, Olympics, these types of events, I feel like showcase more of our humanity because that's what life is all about. It's about community and coming together and supporting one another, or at least I feel like that's how, you know, it should be <laughs> and not just <laughs> thinking of yourself as the only individual, um, you know, life's too short, I think, to, to just be thinking of yourself. So I think in tennis, the dynamics that you see between players um, is really interesting when they come together on a team. And I think that that's something that is very promotable. Um, it's one of the reasons I also like playing doubles is because I like figuring out, I like problem solving with somebody else on mm. the court. And I like how, you know, my strengths can match up with their strengths and, and stuff like that. So I think that's another thing that, that I wish was a little bit different with tennis. You know, you don't have to lose the individual aspect of it. You don't have to lose that, you know, you're the hero of the match when you figure it out on your own. But I think there's definitely something to be said about, winning on a team and that feeling that you know that collective like strength together i i think you and noah are going to have a, a long conversation about team events at, at some point very soon and i i, I look forward to <laughs> just hearing about that conversation i, I want to wrap up with two questions one specifically for you gabby and then one for the both of you um gabby I, in kind of knowing you more through social media and, and talking with you today, um, I, I think that you're kind of an empath. You're, you're somebody who, who feels empathy, feels compassion for others. This is such a unique time in human history. How are you balancing those feelings, that compassion, that humanity, with the fact that you're struggling a little bit trying to understand your own path individually here over the next several months how are you balancing those two kind of opposite forces? is it because i have no yeah. compassion <laughs> right is that why it's not for yes. me? <laughs> uh, but how, how are you balancing those two forces right now which tend to be at odds with each other yeah it's definitely tough because you know as a tennis player you you think of yourself a lot you make a lot of selfish decisions and there's nothing wrong with that because you do need to make those decisions to be a better tennis player for sure um, but right now there are bigger things going on than tennis and yeah, maybe, maybe I would have loved to go to the gym and take a class with other people because that's more fun, but it's just not practical and it's not for the benefit of everyone and it's just not worth it. So honestly, like there are times where, you know, I feel like cooped up and I want to be doing something, especially because we have this break, which we never have almost mm -hmm. as tennis players. It's such a rarity. Uh, you know, if we take three weeks off at the end of the year, that's like, oh, wow, you took three weeks <laughs> off of tennis. Like, what? <laughs> amazing. Um, so, yeah, but honestly, like, I love to read. 
Um, I can binge watch TV shows pretty easily. Um, I can, you know, actually finally have some deeper conversations with my friends because I'm not, you know, in between stuff. So it's not like just superficial. And, and so it's been nice to, to do that and catch up with them. Um, and I'm taking some university courses. Mm. So honestly, like I'm keeping busy and I'm good. Um, I like a part of me initially when I thought I would have like the next couple of weeks off, like when Indian Wells was canceled, postponed and Miami and Charleston and stuff like that. I immediately Googled like volunteering opportunities in Tampa (laughs) (laughs) because I'm just like, Oh, I have this extra time on my hands. Like I can, you know, go meet people outside of tennis and like make a positive impact. Um, and not just, you know, have everything be not that everything is about me, but just not everything, you know, revolve around me for a while. So, (laughs) um, obviously can't do that right now, but, um, hopefully, you know, down the line when, when our world situation improves and maybe a break after I'm done tennis, then I can be more involved in, in those types of things, those, those types of things that I'm passionate about. So, you know, everything's kind of on hold, but I think you can you can still um, kind of entertain yourself in the meantime and, you know, just think that what you're doing is benefiting everybody else that, by that not is, doing a lot. <laughs> that is, that's a, that's a actually a perfect answer uh, from who I gather you to be as a person. So I, I want to wrap with this, and this is kind of a serious question here for the both of you we're going to be potentially it's within the realm of possibility that we might not have tennis again until 2021 or very late in 2020, which is a gap of eight, nine, 10 months. How do both of you wrestle in your minds? And I'm going to start with you, Gabby, with the idea that it's going to be very difficult to stay sharp, maintain the same level of tennis that you were at. How do you try to take where you were at, and bring it to something eight, nine, ten months down the line when you've never done it before? Um, well, if we're out for that long, then I'll probably add in some more visualization exercises. I think there's a lot to be said about those in keeping yourself sharp, even when you're not on the court. Um, so probably, you know, be more disciplined with that if, if it is the case that we'll be out for that long, because I don't think I've ever not played tennis for more than maybe two months maximum, Mm. you know, from the time I was eight years old. So um, it'll be a very, very strange feeling. But I think, you know, if you're able to get on court, obviously, and play and it's safe to do that, then it'll be easier. And then you'll have to set up, you know, practice matches, because I think, playing practice matches is a really good way to, to maintain that. You can't just keep drilling, um, obviously. But if you don't have any of that and we really can't, you know, we can't use facilities and we can't play outside or inside for, you know, an extended period of time, then you kind of have to turn inward um, to the mental side and make sure that you're disciplined with your visualizations and, you know, meditation routines and breathing because even though we're not playing, all those things are like a practice. And the more you do them, the better you get, even if you're not on court. So that's probably, you know, I'll, I'll increase those if we're out for even longer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think 
you know, for me, I haven't really talked to too many other people, but, you know, for this time where it's not safe to be practicing, and shout out to a lot of people that are still outside <laughs> practicing, maybe stop. Um, but, <laughs> you know, this is the first time that I've been able to relax. I mean, luckily, actually, behind me, I have my home gym, but it's the first time I've been able to relax without anxiety. Mm. You know, whether I was injured, whether I was taking time off because I thought I would literally break every rack in my bag if I got on the court again. I am now home, you know, sometimes bored, but not feeling this anxious energy that people around me are getting better, that the world is continuing. Like, the world has stopped. I can stop. I'm using this to kind of start anew. And it's, you know, even though that, you know, even Mike can attest to this, I'm, I was probably in the best place mentally prior to this difficult scenario. But again, I'm using this to kind of start over and say, hey, we can relax. You know, this is almost like a new career for me at this point. If this, you know, does go four or five months, um, I just got brand new rackets, which obviously for any <laughs> tennis player is like, um, like candy. And I just want to go out and they're so pretty and it's matte white and they're gorgeous. <laughs> and I just want to go on court. But again, I'm just enjoying kind of, you know, not feeling this anxiety like, oh my God, somebody else is improving and the rankings are going up and down and this and that. And I think that's what tennis does. And I, that's a real, that's an issue that I'm seeing, but uh, I'm using it to my advantage right now. So, you know, I'm hopefully we can get back on the court soon because I just love hitting tennis balls. I mean, that's really why I started this whole thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, for right now, it's relax on the couch and eat a couple extra cookies than I normally would have. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I did want to end with this. I, I you know, I, I, I lied at first. The technical difficulties were actually on purpose and it was because you kicked my ass so many times in my mixed doubles <laughs> career that I'm almost I had to get you back somehow and that was the only way I could actually your life right now <laughs> so I had to make you wait an extra five minutes ten minutes <laughs> because oh my god Mike 6-0 when we played them the last time it was it was God awful. Well, you're terrible at doubles. I mean, you're really awful at the, at the doubles. I mean, terrible. The first match we played was actually good doubles. It was like we had some good points. We were like, the second one was god, yeah. god awful. Oh my god. <laughs> people were left. There was like five people at the end. <laughs> can can you give him any I mean, any help? Any happens. tips? Like like anything he can I do mean, better? I I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> I know exactly how that feels. Like. I I I have no I don't, I don't know. Here. You have to you <laughs> have to hurts. play you have to play more doubles. That's the solution. Everybody in my life tells me to get the fuck off the doubles court. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Mike screaming at me. I won a doubles challenger, and he came up to me and he said that was the worst display of doubles I've ever it seen. It really was though. It was a terrible. I, mean, I had a trophy. There was there was thirty mile per hour winds. That's the only way you could beat those guys. My mom was. <laughs> My you family just can handle the wind better. <laughs> that is true. Uh, let me let me just say, Gabby. So it was, it was in Stockton, California. I'm commentating, right? It was literally 30 mile per hour winds in one direction, north south, right? And so the two players he was playing against, one of them was Christopher Rungcat, who is approximately five foot six actually shorter than Noah, which is saying something. Uh, the other one was one of the Radawatana twins uh, who was about the same height. And for some reason, both of these guys accomplished in doubles, 
they couldn't adjust to the win. So Noah and Darian King, <laughs> another terrible doubles player, all they were doing was just <laughs> using lobs. But super talented. Yes, incredibly <laughs> talented. Don't get me wrong. But a terrible doubles player. All they were just doing was throwing up lobs and Runcat and Rotowatana had no I am clue. I'm sending her the Instagram link that I posted. <laughs> I broke them three times with perfect lobs. Give me my one title, please, Mike. These are you tough know what? Times. Lobs are super effective. I have nothing against lobbing. <laughs> oh, by the way, there's an opening in this podcast now. <laughs> so I've been fired. Okay, that's fine. No, um, no, I, I love. No, you can have the behind the racket pod. I'm starting a new. <laughs> uh, Gabby, you you seem to be a, a lovely person. I'm sorry you had to join us and come down to our our level for a little bit of time, but we really appreciate the insight. And I I hope for you and your family nothing but health and positivity in this very difficult time. Um, and best of luck. And hopefully we see you in in New York or or somewhere down the line very soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, it's a pleasure to be on. Be safe, guys. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.